Welcome into another episode of We're Talking Today. Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. How are we doing this morning, Danny? What's going on, buddy? Good to see you. Good to be seen. You know, it's been uh, a rough couple years, as we say, with COVID and everything. So another day on this earth is a beautiful day. <laughs> Not that it's all doom and gloom, because I think we're getting out of this pandemic. You're seeing it more and more. So, but so let's talk baseball, man. I know you, uh, let's start out with your Georgia Southern Eagles. Went up to App State this weekend. Uh, took two out of three, for, took the first two games. Uh, I wanted to smack the guy, if there was a guy, that was holding the camera in center field because it kept shaking. I, I saw the wind was blowing a lot, but uh, I, I'm sure it was just a stationary camera. It seemed like on a tripod, so... Well, I, I was hoping the wind was from some of the Georgia Southern home runs in game one, but yesterday it was pretty bad. It was about 30 miles per hour for a good bit of the game, and it benefited App more than it did Georgia Southern. They had a couple drop pop-ups, especially one with two outs that ended up being responsible for eight of their 11 runs. Not to say that they didn't have a better approach. They did hit two home runs, but they definitely had a couple of wind-aided knocks that got them that series victory. Well, it – it's funny how you say that because I was watching that game and uh, I think it was fairly close. And I'm not going to say the wheels came off, but it, because, like you said, there was that error at um, pop up kind of just past the first base at the wind. The wind looked like it was blowing around. There were several that it looked like the, the the fielders were very off off key there. Well, there was another one earlier in the game that Jason Swan went way into foul ground at first base, and the wind was so bad it blew it behind second base that Jesse Sherrill was pretty much just camped right under it, didn't have to move, and he makes the catch. Colin and I are both looking down the line thinking it might go out of play. It does a left turn. Sherrill doesn't even realize, and then, oh, but, oh, this ball's coming right to me. So he catches it to finish the inning, and we're just thinking, okay – if you can end up making plays like that, Georgia Southern might be fine, but then you had the one that fell in with two outs, the one that fell in to start their four-run rally in the eighth inning. But even so, this team is showing that there's no quit. They got the two back in the ninth, and they had a chance to keep a rally going. App's bullpen doesn't have a ton of depth to it. So they still scored six, but the pitching wasn't what it was the first two games. And even though Georgia Southern's in a good stretch right now, the margin for error is kind of slim because I think that they figured out you've got maybe one and a half starters. Jalen Payton has entrenched himself in the weekend. Ty Fisher is somebody that was out for three weeks. He took a line drive off of his face against UCF. So he was out for 22 days, but he comes back and he was fantastic. Seven innings, only four hits. So it looks like I want to say he's back, but I want to see a little bit more first before I make a claim like that. Georgia Southern has depth in the bullpen like they did a year ago. And the lineup, I think, has finally figured out exactly how they've got to score when you take away a Stephen Curry and a Mason McWhorter. Noah Ledford's been really good. Noah Searcy's in a really good stretch as well. But still, it's a team that doesn't have a big margin for error. They've got to have a lot of things go right if they're going to be successful. Yeah, your bats are coming alive, though. I like that uh, from, from a team that was uh, just one game away from a regional last year. So, uh I was kind of a little worried that first weekend that you guys had up in Tennessee, but evidently that's not indicative of the team, at least. That's <laughs> See, I, I think they want to forget about it, but at the same time, it's fueling them. When they, they get outscored 33-3, to three, everybody thinks that, all oh, this is a team that was supposed to compete for regional. There's nothing here. Too much is lost. How are they going to make up for it? 
And you mentioned the early rough start. It's been that way for a few years. They hit just 185 combined over the first seven games, but then they put together this stretch where they've won 11 out of 13, and they've been up around 300 with Ledford, with Cersei. Jared Brown's been really good out of the eight spot. He's been hitting close to 450 over the last 11. Jason Swan and Christian Avan are coming up on 200 career hits. And the order, despite changing every game, the first 17 games, it looks like there's a little bit of a rhythm with the one through nine. And that's despite not having the usual starting catcher. J.P. Tighe's been hurt for the last two weekends and the hope that he's back by the time that the Eagles come down to Teague Field. But we don't know if he's going to be cleared yet. They've had to alternate two first-year catchers. And it's it's been a mild surprise that there hasn't been much of a drop-off. But that just shows you how good the rest of the lineup has been around them. Well, like we talked about off air, the, 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 it's still early in the season, a lot of baseball to be played. And I think that's the great thing about the sport of baseball is that it's uh, it's a long season and lots of lots can happen in between now and the end of the season. You'll, you'll Um, convince yourself that after losing the last game that you just didn't win the first three games of the week. I mean, Georgia Southern goes to Mercer beats the number 13 RPI team has to go around an hour and 29-minute rain delay. It looked pretty impressive. Then you take the first two and a half to start league play. But you lose that last game, and you think, okay, are we really as good as we just played, or are we more of this team that just gave up 11 runs and a couple of home runs to Appalachian State? It's probably somewhere in between, but the fact that this team is 13-7 and seven with what they lost, you've got to credit the coaching staff, and you've got to credit a very veteran team to figuring some things out the last few weeks. Well, I was going to say, I mean, you're batting uh, uh, 252, I think I saw in the season, somewhere in there right yeah. now. Uh, so you've got – what the heck just happened to my – sorry. You guys are batting 259, and I don't know if that includes the last game or not. The Sunbelt stats seem to be forever to, 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 to pop up on one page, but you go to another page and it's, it's, it's accurate. I'm like, okay, you can't – are you not pulling the stats from the same spot? So, like, hey, yay, Sunbelt. Uh, no, I mean, to go win two or three out, two, two out of three on the road is, 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 is good, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, and App State, I don't know. I, I mean, I know in basketball and football, you guys are big rivalries. Uh, is it that way in baseball? Or, I mean, has App State not been there, I guess? It's still a rivalry. It's not as intense as the others, but regardless of what sport it is, when it's Georgia Southern and App State, just because there's so much history, it's always a little bit more. The good thing is, from a baseball perspective, Georgia Southern's won the last eight series between the two, dating back to 2013, and they've really dominated ever since joining Sunbelt play. Had a couple of sweeps to start conference play in 15 and 16. Thought it was going to be that way this year, but the fact that it's been a controlled sense for the Eagles against App is always nice to be able to hold that over them. In general, in general, and I'm looking at the ERAs of the Sunbelt Conference teams, do they seem abnormally high to you this season? Is that something – I mean, are teams – in general in college baseball, you think they're scoring more runs? I mean, or is it just, it's, it's still too early to tell. A part of it, I think it's still too early to tell. And remember the bats have been the way that they have been for what, since 2011. So you can say that BB core was something that limited offense for a while, but I think that guys are bigger, faster, stronger than they ever have been. And 
I don't want to say that the major league style is completely infiltrating the college game, but you're definitely seeing home runs go up. You're seeing strikeouts go up. And ERA-wise, if your defense is fine, then those are going to be affected. But if defense is a little bit more touch and go, then if you're giving up bombs, then it's – it's it's tough to say it on a team-by-team team basis because you can look at some schools that have abnormally tough schedules, like in Arkansas State. I don't believe that they're a 4-13 and 13 team. You look at ULM, who went 1-1-1 one, one, and one last week. I don't believe that they are what their record is. I think that that's a really good lineup, and they've gotten most of their firepower back from last year. But I think that teams are figuring out exactly what they have to be. And like we talked about with Georgia Southern, you take away the player of the year in Mason McWhorter, who had 370 with 18 home runs. That's a lot you've got to replace. You take away a Stephen Curry, who got hit more than anybody else in Georgia Southern history and was the starting second baseman for five years. you got to find a way to replace that. And for some teams, they look at filling gaps by just going out and getting donkeys and trying to hit a lot of home runs. A lot of teams will walk. You've got teams that will steal constantly. I know the Cajuns are a very aggressive team on the base paths, and sometimes it looks really good. Other times, innings can be taken away if you're overly aggressive. But for 300 roughly D1 teams, it's going to be 300 different ways to try to skin the same cat. Well, you mentioned the bats. The bats changed in 2010. But then again, the ball changed in 2015 yeah. to the lower th lower threads on the ball, which was supposed to have less drag on the ball. Now, we saw it a slight tick up in 2015 with those with with the home runs and 2016, a little bit more. But I agree with you. I think I think we're getting to a time where uh, baseball is almost becoming uh, like like Major League Baseball with the strikeouts and the home runs. So very yeah. interesting. You've heard the term three result where it's either home run, walk, or strikeout, which isn't baseball. It just says, if I can see it, I'm going to swing at it. If I don't hit it, I'm striking out. If I don't swing at it and I can't see it, I'm going to walk. There, there's a lot less strategy for so many teams because they're going to play to get guys on. They're going to play for the two and three run home run. The most deceiving play in baseball is the solo homer. It might give you some momentum. It might give you something but it's only one run and it takes you out of a chance to start a rally you got to have guys on base to get a rally you need singles and doubles maybe some teams will kick it around maybe some wild pitches will get mixed in but if you can not be so enamored with the idea of walk or home run with some strikeouts sprinkled in that's not an offense to me strategy is a part of the game where you get the leadoff guy on you read how slow or how quick the pitcher is to the plate you hit and run, you get secondary leads, you move up on balls in the dirt, and you're able to move up on fly balls. In fact, in game one on Friday at App State, Jesse Sherrill was on first base and there was a fly to right field. He tags out with one out and goes to second base. You don't see that a whole lot anymore. He didn't ultimately score, but that's baseball. You've got to be able to make those plays that don't show up in the box score instead of being just an offense that wants to hit four or five home runs a game and just have all these walks while also having to deal with strikeouts. And I think you're right about that with the with especially with the the solo home run shot. Coach Robe used to talk about that a lot. You know that that doesn't kill you. It's yeah. when you walk a guy and then the guy hits the home run, or you hit a guy and then the, the guy hits a home run. Right. Uh, it, it's it's uh, it's a very interesting. Well, let's go on to a couple other games here. Um, the you brought up ULM, I think, which I, I agree. I think you 
they're better than what they've shown. I think their coach has been there a couple of years now, but I mean, the, the, the coastal ULM ends, ends the series in a 17, 17 tie. I, I mean, is, is that baseball? Well, you guys can relate to ending series in a tie in Conway. Yes. Uh, went one, one and one. And I think that is the, the closest is, uh, the closest, closest, well, easy for me to say at, uh, seven, 18 in the blessed morning, the closest they have come to, uh, taking a series from us. They have not taken a series from us, but at the same time, we had never been swept in Troy and what happened this weekend, we were swept in Troy. Every, every year is a little bit different. And I still look, there were four sweeps in the first weekend. I still don't think we know really anything about anybody, maybe Texas state backing up their top 20 ranking by going to Arkansas state and taking three games. But at the same time, I saw Brad Bobo had a tweet, 25 of the 27 innings, Arkansas state outscored Texas state, but the two that they didn't, they got outscored 10, nothing. And that cost them three games. So that's how thin their margin is. Yeah. Texas state, uh, you know, I mean, they went, they went up to Arkansas on that first Arkansas state on that first game. And, you know, they had a Arkansas state jumped out to what a six, nothing lead. Yeah. And then, then turn around and, uh, uh, Texas state just, you know, 13, seven, they scored one run after that. I think all the, the six runs, if I remember correctly, came in the first inning. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, but that, that's something, well, I was going to say you got to chip away at that I'm looking at in Texas State. But that's, that's, that's a typical Arkansas State team. It, in my opinion, they kind of jump out to you, but they don't have that, that big end to, uh, to the bullpen right there. So it's one of those things that they couldn't hold off Texas State with six runs in the sevenths. If there is one thing that has held Arkansas State back, and look, Tommy Raffo is an outstanding coach. Everybody respects him with the job that he does. They don't get a ton of financial support. I know they're working on some renovations. They did have some going into this year. They moved their bullpen beyond the right field fence. They've got a new pitching coach and Alan Dunn, who spent some time at LSU. But the pitching has been their problem for a long time. Their weekend rotation is completely different from what it was last year, which led them into the tournament. They actually upset Troy in their first game, which knocked Troy out of a chance to win that pool. But the guys that were in that weekend rotation are on the roster. They're just not starting. So they're having to figure out a way of incorporating some new arms while still having the same result. They always do enough to hit. Jake Hager's off to a good start. They've got Ben Klutz at third base, a preseason all-league selection. But it seems that they are typically a team that plays their best by the time that May gets here. And I know Jay has always said you never want to see a Tommy Raffo team in tournament play, and I agree with him because it seems that they are at their best by the time that May arrives. And Georgia Southern went out there last year, thought they were going to be in position to take a series, but Arc State pitched extremely well. They took two of those three, and that's what started Georgia Southern's May swoon. They got it back by the time the tournament arrived. But that is an Arc State team that gets better as the season goes on. You just hope that you're not on the other side of them when they do figure out their pitching because they always hit enough. Well, I think it's one of those things that with Arkansas State that you have the weather that is uh, horrendous up there or never know what it's going to be, I should say, up there at the start of the season. And they had – uh, games postponed, canceled, so on and so forth. So, but the the weather is not is usually not playing in Arkansas State's favor or Little Rock's favor. But hey, uh, like you said, they 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 tend to get it rolling about mid season, and uh, this is about that time of the year. So uh, back, so 
you weren't surprised at all with ULM taking uh, the the first game uh, from from Coastal. A uh, close game, three to what you expect on a Friday night with two Friday night guys. And coach, that's another thing Coach Robe used to talk about. Everybody's got a Friday night guy. So um, what's your thought on, on ULM, though, a, a little bit more in there? It's just about the same lineup as they had last year. And Danny DeSimone's not their first baseman anymore, and he's dealt with back, back problems for a while. He's He's not there, but just about everybody else is back with Brant Schultz, with Trace Henry, with Mason Holt. When they get on base, they're going to create havoc just because they're a bunch of small, scrappy guys, but they can split gaps. They can generate some frustration, and they can generate offense simply by being pesky at the plate. And pitching-wise, they don't have a whole lot of people that are going to jump out at you, but Cam Barlow has been in that weekend rotation for several years. Tyler Lean has been in and out, but they've got a solid back end. That's a team that you cannot trifle with. I don't care about what their record is because what you just saw with Coastal, they go up to a place where it's very tough to take a series. They win game one, Coastal bounces back, and then game three, look, that's one that on Sunday, typically high scoring because bullpens are in a certain situation. Offense are probably going to score more. And they actually started that game earlier to avoid the kill time. But they were four hours in in the eighth inning, and they had to stop it because ULM had to get home. So it ends up being a 17-17 tie. So in one way, you could definitely see that they're capable of scoring a bunch of runs. But on the flip side, even though I think they've got some decent pitching pieces, they can also give up a lot if they're not put in the right spot. Yeah, it's kind of hard uh, when, when you've got that lead. Uh, you're going in, you have a, a, a five-run lead going into the seventh. You give up four, and, and they get another one in the eighth to tie you. So uh the bullpen which i think is 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 subset suspect uh and you got me up early this morning uh suspect uh with with just about any team especially going into sunday depending on what you did and uh on on friday and saturday but any surprises with coastal that that you think uh on the weekend that you were surprised with or or even, even earlier in the season, since this is the first time we're talking. It, it, it's tough to – what we say now is not going to be the same by the time 30 games get played. But it looks like for Coastal, they're just going to try to score people again. I don't think their pitching is is where they want it to be yet. Granted, it could be by the time May gets here. They have a new pitching coach. They lost – they got rid of Drew Thomas. He was a longtime assistant for Gary Gilmore. Jason Beverlin is their new pitching coach, somebody that was at Georgia Southern for a hot minute. He also spent time as the head coach at Bethune-Cookman. But Nick Parker is their Friday guy. Decent numbers, not great numbers. He is just going to try to eat innings and let the offense do what they can, especially at home where that ballpark lets you know time and time again that no lead is safe. ULM was up 8-1 in that game yesterday before it ended up being 17-17. Revan Scoder was somebody that was in and out of the lineup last year because of injury. He's back in as their number two starter. Daniel Cruz is a really good reliever. He's somebody that they had to start by the end of the season. But they're still looking for that guy that they can go to, like in Alaska Abney. Not having him, I think, puts them in a tough spot because he could come in, give you a start in a pinch, and also go three and four innings of relief from that tough sidearm slot. It's still an offense that is going to try to outslug you. They've got the preseason player of the year. They might be without Dale Thomas for a while. He did get hit in the head by a pitch against ULM just yesterday, so he may be gone for a little bit. They'll have to figure out how to how to fill that spot, but 
despite what you think about Coastal's pitching, it's still an offense that very few in the league can consistently match. Yes, totally agree with you there. Let's, uh, you've been listening, we're talking with Craig Malasso and Danny Reed. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this short message. Welcome back in to We're Talking. Craig Malasso and Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. Danny, let's talk about the team we love to hate, Georgia State. Last oh, year, please let's talk about Georgia yeah. State. Last year, they went on the, the gauntlet of SEC, ACC teams and got slapped around. And I don't think totally ever recovered from it. Uh, I, I thought they were playing ball that seasoned them well, but this year they come in and they're playing well. Oh, they, they just swept Little Rock up in Panthersville. They're 14 and six right now. And if you told me that they were going to be the number 75 team in the RPI after one conference week, I think I thought they'd be capable of it. I mean, RPI is still going to fluctuate a lot this time of the year, this early in the year. But they've got a bunch of pieces back. They've changed some things with their pitching. Cameron Jones was somebody that was starting for them last year. He's now in the back end of the bullpen. And somebody that was a preseason all-league pick, Will Mize, their, their left side of the infield. I know he can play both short and third base. He's not even really seeing a lot of time. But you have to think about all those games they had last year, the gauntlet they went through. Head coach Brad Stromdahl did that by design, number one, get a little bit of dough to finance their new ballpark, but also to get them some necessary experience because they did improve in Sunbelt play. They took two or three from the Eagles right before Easter last year. Georgia Southern getting revenge in the conference tournament, so that was, of course, nice. But I don't think that this is a team that is going to be the dweller of the East anymore, and that was what we immediately thought because Colin and I both know Coach Stromdahl a little bit. Collins worked with him for a number of years as he was the outstanding head coach at Georgia Gwinnett. He brought assistant Dalton Martinez with him. He's now their third base coach. That That's not a team that's going to be looked at as, oh, that's three wins on the weekend anymore. They've got too much, too much going in their favor. They've developed their offense. Griffin Chaney's leading the league in batting average and home runs. He hit those three bombs earlier last week against Clemson. That, that's that's not a gimme for anybody anymore. That That's going to be a good team, and I think that this could be one of their better seasons since they won the Colonial Championship a few years ago. So what what about their n- new ballpark? We've been, we've been hearing about it for years. Is that finally something that they're going to start to roll on? Or Well, they've had the plans. I do believe they've started the construction, and I, and I think it's a, still a couple of years away, but they've got the two major facilities going on at the same time. We know they're going to open their convocation center next year, which – finally replaces the third floor but baseball wise that's been the dangling carrot for recruits for a long time going back to Greg Frady but now that I think that they've got their funds where they need to it's something that they can actually say this is happening and this is how we're going to improve our program because we all know that that's not the best setup that they have over at Panthersville they did cut down one of the trees so you can finally see right field but it's 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 tough for them to be able to sell their product when they can't back it up field wise they get their new field where it's going to be located and that's going to make them even more of a player in this league. But I think that as of right now, where they are at 14 and six, I think that they've got a shot to have a really solid season. So good. I, I, I'm looking forward to the trip to Atlanta, not necessarily the ballpark. We always have a good time in Atlanta with some, with a couple of friends. So looking forward to that trip. Uh, UTA South Alabama. Any shock there with UTA getting swept like that? I mean, I know South Alabama is good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to downplay South Alabama, but those games weren't even close. 
I think you're looking at a UTA team that's probably a little bit down this year. And when you lose the pitcher of the year and Carlos Tavera, you lose Bullard. And now you're starting a guy like Michael Wong, who is one of their top relievers. You don't have a spot where Tanner King can be as effective as he was last year because the starting pitching isn't where it was. And offensively, it's a lot of new guys. We know that UTA and Darren Thomas, they like to go the transfer route. And oftentimes, year to year, you don't know who is going to be where. It is a dangerous way to go about building a program. He's been successful with it for more than 10 years. But sometimes, if it doesn't click early, you look at that as, oh, it could be a down year. Maybe they'll get it going by the time conference play rolls, and maybe they'll be able to figure it out by the time that May gets here. But you've got a combination of a relatively young, inexperienced roster against a South team that's veteran, the clear favorite in this league, and they're playing really well right now. I mean, they, they, they've dominated for quite a bit. So they've, they've got some impressive victories on their schedule. And it, it's, I don't think it's a stretch to say them and Texas State are the two best teams in the league right now. Let's talk about South Alabama's pitching. I mean, how dominant – I mean, so your opinion is they're that dominant. It's not just a uh, – it's not just a UTA thing. Well, as I'm looking at it, they've got a 256 team ERA. That was what really ran them last year because their offense got up to an extremely slow start despite having Ethan Wilson, who still hit one of the most impressive home runs in Sunbelt tournament history. But it was a slow start. They got it going – yeah, right around the middle of April, but they're already hitting close to 300 as a team. You take away a Michael Sandal as well, who got drafted, but Santi Montiel is back for what feels like the eighth year at shortstop. Hunter Stokes is in his sixth year. He, he's missed time because of injury, but he was on that 2017 championship team that beat Georgia Southern at J.I. Clemens Stadium. Miles Simington has been a welcome surprise for them. He started 15 games. He's hitting better than 440. They're just getting the leadoff guy on base, and they're scoring with two outs. That's that's where their offense is better than maybe anybody else in this league. I've always thought that Georgia Southern, Louisiana, Coastal, and South are the four best teams in the league in scoring with two outs, but I don't know that anybody does it better scoring with two outs than South Alabama. Year in and year out, they are extremely difficult to get them three up, three down in an inning. Well, you know, that was the knock on them last year, not the scoring with two outs, but they didn't have a very good batting average. But, they, yeah. but when they did hit the ball, it was all – balls with two outs now this year they come in with a uh they've got a 292 batting average as a team so you combine that with their 2.56 era that that that's a definitely a recipe for success there you know they had a what was a seven game winning streak earlier in february they dropped a game in the midweek to southern miss but they swept jacksonville state on the road it's a lower rpi team but still it's a road sweep road wins are tough to come by you take that as soon as you can get them they beat New Orleans last midweek, and then the three against UT Arlington. UT is going to have to go through some growing pains. I think there's still some talent there, but they don't exactly know how it's going to fit yet. Like Georgia Southern with those first three Tennessee games, they had to see it before they knew what they needed to do. And with UTA, the pieces are going to be a little bit different. But with South Alabama, when you can build around what they already have, especially in their middle infield and the way that they've started on offense relative to how well their pitching has continued to be, that's a really, really tough matchup for anybody in the league. Let's talk about uh, the other team, one of the teams you mentioned earlier, Texas State. Deserving of that 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 ranking? I mean, they're off to their best start ever. So relative to them, yeah, I, I would think they'd agree with it. But the way that they 
swept Arkansas State on the road last weekend. They had to rally twice. We already mentioned getting yep. behind 6 nothing in the first inning in game one. They were the preseason favorite last year, and they flatlined. But now it's – I don't know what people were really expecting of them. It's not just that they swept Arkansas State on the road. They took one from Texas and Austin when they were the number one team in the country. Texas has hit a little bit of a downslide. They just lost to CMC last week. But they've taken two of three from Arizona. That was on the road at the time, a number 11 team in the country. And offensively, they're hitting close to 300 as a team. Dalton Sheffield's better than 400. Justin Thompson was leading the league in RBIs for about the first half of the season last year. John Wethridge was somebody that they didn't have a whole lot of a season ago because he was hurt. They finally have him back. He's hitting close to 350. And then pitching-wise, they've got a bona fide ace in Zeke Wood. And it seems like Tristan Stivers has become one of the better relievers in the league. So if they can continue this trajectory, this is not just one of the best starts that a Sunbelt team has had in a while. This could be the best season that Texas State has ever had if they just continue to do what they have been doing. Because 18-3, and three, I don't know if you back into that with some of the wins that they've posted. No, I agree. I mean, they, they've, they've beat some really stellar teams like you talked about. Uh, just just over a three with an ERA, but hitting, like you said, nearly 300 to 292. So a team that, uh, as South Alabama does, has it all uh, right now. Little Rock, uh, any surprise there with a 315, leading the league with a 315 batting average? No, they're, they're an offensive-minded team, and the pitching has – lag behind a little bit they're they're a little bit similar to Arkansas State except Little Rock has had some guys single guys that you could say oh okay he would fit anywhere like a Chandler Fidel remember the 6-5 lefty from a couple of years ago Aaron Funk was the preseason pitcher of the year in 2021 after his really phenomenal start in 20 before the COVID shutdown and Hayden Arnold pitcher of the year last year so they've been able to find individual talent they've also been able to find some solid guys out of their bullpen they have a tendency to overuse their best guys so by the end of the season maybe not as effective I think about what they did with Justin Garcia their split finger guy a few years ago he didn't have a whole lot in the tank by the time that the end of the 2019 rolled around Donovan Buck is somebody that they used a ton offensively I'm never surprised by what Little Rock does. Noah Dickerson's number two in the league in ERA. He's hitting better than 400. Nathan Lyons has been there forever. He's hitting better than 400. And then pitching-wise, they're a lot like UT Arlington, and you don't know exactly what you're going to see year in, year out because they're transfer-laden. And then you see some of these guys that have these numbers. Okay, I don't know him. How is he doing this? So you got to go back and figure out, okay, is it the competition? Are they as good as what they've been recruited by Chris Curry? This is a team that I don't think people know a ton about year in, year out, because there is so much change, but they always find guys that can hit. They always have the ability to hit, and that's what makes them tough. Before we move on to the last series, uh, did the Sunbelt Conference change up this year? Are we not having divisions? Or Because I'm looking at the standings, and it's one big standing. It's not split into divisions. Yeah, it's just it's just 12 teams this year. The divisions had been in place for the last four years. They went away from that. It's just one through 12, and now everybody back to playing 30. Ten of the top 12 go to the tournament, single elimination day one, and then you go double from there. Okay, sweet. We've gotten rid of the, uh, the idiotic round robin uh, that we had. I, I still kind of wish there were uh, – were, were, uh, divisions and it'll be interesting to see when the other teams come into the league next year how baseball uh decides to put their schedules together 
So. Yeah, to me, I think you're going to have to go divisions when you've got 14 teams. I don't know if you can go one through 14 with the geographical footprint that the league is going to have. You could do a clear split of seven and seven. How you're going to do it travel-wise with basketball, that's for them to figure out. But yep. from a standpoint of football, you've got to have an East and a West to meet in the championship. Baseball, it would seem to make more sense schedule-wise where you know that you're going to be playing the same six teams every year, and then you'll get four crossovers from the other side. I think that that would be the most efficient way to do it, but that's for them to decide once we get to next year and once we officially know that those teams are coming in because even though they're on the football schedule, they're still on Conference USA schedule. That's not finalized yet, even though everybody expects that that is going to happen by the time we get to football season. Well, not for today, but we're going to, in the near future, we're going to talk about my thoughts on scheduling and get your opinion as well when the in in the in the baseball arena the other one uh doesn't the other ones i won't say don't don't excite me but uh it is what it is here i'm a baseball guy so yes you are lastly who talk cajun fans off the ledge there so i mean all right so <laughs> let me let me i'll be honest with you i mean uh I, i'm not overly well, I guess I'm surprised that we got swept. The Cajuns got swept. But at the same time, uh, Troy came into the, the game, had, had a very nice record, which I th- I really think, especially with them playing Columbia, I think it was the first four games of the year, they put up a bunch of gaudy numbers, got four wins out of it. In Troy's preseason, uh, uh, non-conference schedule has never impressed me early in the season. No, it's, that's that's been a thing of theirs for years, but that's just that's how they do it. But so tell me, tell me why Cajun fans shouldn't be jumping off the ledge now, and tell me why Troy fans need to be brought down a notch. <laughs> that's uh, not the right way to take it. I'm sorry, that wasn't the right way to say that. Okay, Cajun fans, for a reason that we talked about earlier, because of the ability to generate the run game like Matt Deggs does, you're never going to be out of a game. Granted, you got to get guys on base to start the running game, but it doesn't appear that ultimately that's going to be a problem. Carson Rockefort's leading the league in RBIs. We know that the pop is there with Connor Kemple. I think that there have been a little bit too many solo home runs. I think back to one of the UC Irvine games. You don't want to be a team that hits a whole lot of solo home runs. It's nice to show that you've got the power, but you need to flood the base pads, and that's still a program that is going to do that team on base percentage. What is it? I mean, it's a little bit low at 330, but with Heath Hood starting the way that he has, Kyle DeBard to be a freshman shortstop, that's that's a tough ask, especially at a program like Louisiana, and especially when somebody like Hayden Cantrell came in and did it and was really successful with it. That could be a lot to live up to, but I still think DeBard is ultimately going to be fine. You know that with pitching, when it comes to Louisiana, there's going to be more than enough options. Jeff Wilson just throwing a complete game the weekend before. So I think that there, there are some things to figure out, get some guys back from injury, make the parts go into certain spots. So I, I think that we're going to be able to back up the West Division Championship from last year, but just depends on how it all clicks and when it does like for a lot of teams in this league. And then with Troy, you never know how things are going to go when you've got a first-year coaching staff. Non-conference can kind of fool you if you go a certain way against a favorable schedule. And when you're at home, you're supposed to take series. Like for App, look, for what Georgia Southern just did at Appalachian State, Eagles were the better team. But for App, you're at home. That's a series that you're supposed to win. Ultimately, the Eagles go there. They take two of those games. In Troy's mind, they should have won at least two of those. 
But if you're a Cajun, you're up 3-1 going into the bottom of the eighth in game two, homer, homer, tie, walk off homer, you lose the series, and then things fall apart on Sunday. Who's to say that if you don't win game two, that that doesn't compel you and propel you to win game three instead of getting swept? And the same thing for Troy. You don't come back in game two. Maybe you don't have the same gusto going into game three, and maybe you're one and two in conference play going into the second weekend. Troy's always going to be able to hit just because of the ballpark that they have, extremely shallow and right. Doubles Alley is there in left center for a reason. They're always going to be amongst the national leaders in doubles. They're starting pitching with Garrett Gaines. I think he's going to be one of the tougher Friday guys in this league. They did have a decent back into their bullpen with Oates. But how things are going to click with a first-year staff is going to be one of their storylines as we get deeper and deeper into the season. Yeah, I I, I agree with you on all accounts there. I just think it's, it's very early, and I, I think uh, sometimes we make a issue out of things. And don't get me wrong, Cajuns have some issues to deal with. And, and uh, I don't think, you know, Jacob Schultz, I believe, gave up the, the last home run of the, of, the, of the game on Saturday. I don't think Jacob Schultz is one of them. I don't think uh, Brandon Talley is one of them. And that we need to find some other guys in there. I'm Jeff Wilson, like I said, complete game. He, he just, but Jeff's one of those guys that's not going to overpower you. And if he doesn't have that, that, that third pitch in there, I don't think, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things he's got to have as a starter to go long enough. And it, 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 it just wasn't his day on Sunday. So. Even with Brandon Talley, that's somebody that was filling a number of different roles last year. I think about the bomb that he hit at UT Arlington when he had to come in to play first yeah. base and a little bit of swinging, but mostly bullpen last year, closing, now starting. That's a transition where even if you've done it as a high schooler or if you've done it at a previous college stop, that's something you've got to get reacclimated to at a higher level. Well, and I talked about it with several of our fans off air and at uh, different events. You know, it's it's a whole different regiment knowing that you're coming in on on a on a weekend to start. You do certain things during the week to ramp up for that start. Whereas a reliever, you're doing something different. You're ready every night to go in nearly, unless you pitch two or three innings on Friday night. You know, you're more than likely not going to pitch on Saturday. But you know, it's it's a totally different mindset. And I don't think enough people realize how difficult it is for what Brandon Talley is doing right now. It's, it's a way where guys simply have to adjust. And like I just mentioned, whether or not you did a role or didn't do a role, if the guy with the biggest hat comes to you and says, I want you to close, I want you to start, or I don't want you to pitch at all, I want you to hit, mentally you've got to adjust and you've got to be ready to fill whatever role is needed. And that's how championship teams ultimately get formed. And that's something that I mean, George Owens had to deal with it with a couple of years ago with Chase Cohen, somebody that was primarily a bullpen guy going back to 2018, even though he was in the starting rotation the previous two years. Eventually, he got back into the rotation. He goes in against Coastal Carolina, throws seven innings, one run against the team that was the best in the league that year, was the best offense in the league that year by far. But he had to go from somebody that, okay, I might get two innings here, two innings there. I go out and throw over 100 pitches over seven innings against the best offense in the league. I know I'm going back four years, but it's the way that the game is trending because coaches with bigger rosters now, thanks to the COVID waiver period, yeah. it's the last year of this, we're going to go back to 35 next year. Thank goodness. We're still looking at larger rosters and how so many different guys can do so many different things. And if you can look at somebody and say, I can use you here and it ends up exploding, then maybe that's a benefit you wouldn't have had if you would have had few 
fewer guys in the roster because of COVID didn't, didn't exist. It's going to go back to normal next year, and that's going to be a roster management deal that a lot of coaches are going to have to negotiate, but that's next year, and that'll be for a future conversation. Listen, we're talking with Craig Malonso and Danny Reed, voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles. Danny, lastly, uh, and, and I think we'll do this uh, every week, but uh, we'll do do this every week in the sense of what happened in the last week. But since this is our first time talking, biggest surprise so far by by uh, Sunbelt Conference teams in the season so far. Um, maybe UT Arlington a little bit, but knowing all that they were going to lose it's hard to say what their record would be because they always play a brutal out-of-conference schedule just by virtue of where that they're located. A lot of their midweek opponents are going to be Power 5 schools, so that's why so often Darren Thomas's teams are at or below 500, even though they are very good teams. They are statistically the best defensive teams year in and year out. They have low strikeout totals. That's the way that they recruit. Pitching-wise, it is a little bit interchangeable parts, but they seem to be consistent their midweek schedule doesn't do them any favors. And I've talked with Josh Sowers about that a number of times. It just doesn't feel like they get the respect that they're due. Even so, I think that they still need to have a little bit of time to figure out where they're going to be. Coastal only being 11 and seven surprises me considering how much they've been billed as the bounce back team after they finished in last. I think they had their first sub 500 conference season in 25 years last year, but they didn't have the pitching. They didn't have nearly the offensive punch that they've had the previous couple years since joining the league. I know it's a winning record, but to see them at 11 and seven with what they were built up to be player of the year and Eric Brown, I don't know that that's up to their standards. I will say that seeing Texas state at 18 and three brings a smile to my face because that's a program that has everything in place facility, money. They've got the coach that they want in Steve Trout, and it's finally clicking for them. South Alabama is continuing to be South Alabama. I'm not surprised by that at all. And Georgia State, of course, Georgia State being 14 at six, coming off of a sweep of Troy or of Little Rock, I'm sorry. They're not the team that you're going to look at anymore and say, well, they're seller dweller. We're going in and taking a minimum of two out of three. They've got their pitching where they feel like it needs to be. They're going to be able to score. They've got all conference caliber guys in that lineup. Don't be shocked if Georgia State doesn't threaten for a division. That might be a lofty thing to say, considering that Coastal, Troy, Georgia Southern are all in the East, but don't be surprised if Georgia State doesn't wedge their way into that conversation. Well, Danny, this is always fun talking to you, but even more so when we're talking baseball. Uh, I look forward to the rest of the season. Um, you know, it, it, it is a long season, and – uh, lots of baseball to be played. Not only that, and I think it's fun, like you said, with Texas State. Tech, this is the Texas State team that we expected last year, I think. Yep. And beautiful facilities over there. Um, and I love the trip to St. Marcos. Uh, yeah. If nothing else, you get good food, just like if you're coming to Louisiana. You know, we've, we've two different sets of food with, with the Tex-Mex and, and the barbecue versus Cajun food, but <laughs> You know, for a guy that eats, can eat Cajun food every day here at a restaurant, it's fun to go get some barbecue over there. Well, the Eagles are about to go through a gauntlet after this coming weekend at home against Arkansas State, go to Louisiana, then the next weekend go to Texas State. So Georgia Southern is going to quickly find out whether the 13-7 and 7 
is a possible for real scenario or if they're going to be humbled with two pretty long road trips coming up. But four games this week, got CFC at home on Tuesday. The World Series trophy is going to be in Statesboro because the Braves just won the World Series. I know Top is real happy. Oh, my gosh. He probably hasn't stopped talking about it since it happened last year. And then Arc State's here this weekend. Top was hoping that the season would be a, uh, be a strike season completely. That way he could say he was World Series champ for two years. <laughs> I mean, way to go. So you don't want your team to defend your title, you know. But, no, love the dude. He's been good to me uh, as long as, as, as Jay Walker and yourself. Uh, Danny, thank you, as always. We'll talk again next Monday morning. And um, you talked about your long road trip. We've got one coming up as well. Not later on, but we go to Georgia State, back home, and then to App State. So it seems like the Sun Belt did that to a couple teams. Let's put your longest road trips (laughs) back to back, you know. (laughs) But but Bab did us a favor. No midweek games that uh, in between those two series. That's well, the way I, it goes. That's the I may way. be at Georgia State, then drive straight up to App State after that and spend a couple of days in the mountains and then go watch baseball. Just so, one. Well, you know, I'm sorry. I know we said last thing, but, you know, that is at the end of April. It, it, it's literally like April 29th, 30th, and May 1st or something like that. It doesn't matter. I know, but it's going to be probably the warmest that it's going to be for cage for a Cajun guy going up there because we don't know when they if they split in division if we'll play App State next year or the year after that or when we'll when we'll play there again. Yeah, I mean we could play them in March, you know March March seventeenth in, yeah, no, in four I, years. I wouldn't recommend I wouldn't recommend that in the future. Having just been up there, even though yes. it was supposed to it was supposed to snow yesterday, it did not snow. The last two days were really beautiful, but yesterday with it was 45 degrees i think and the yep. wind was close to 30 miles per hour it made it feel like it was in the 20s so i wouldn't i wouldn't recommend doing that either and, and that's what i'm saying i need to go now because we may not get another chance the ballpark looks ballpark looks beautiful though is it is i mean yeah the, the new turf is really nice and when the trees are up in the fall we, of course we're not going to play there in the fall yeah. but it's, it's even better but the new turf is great they did a really good job with the outfield wall there's new padding up they added a deck in, in center field they they did a good job with it good deal well danny thank you uh we'll talk to you again next week next monday uh, morning uh and you're listening you've been listening to we're talking with craig malasa and danny reed voice of the georgia southern eagles and i did not mess that up one time thanks danny my man you got it all right bye any redistribution or reproduction of any part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited except ah who the hell are we kidding distribute it share it put it in your podcast broadcast it, or put it on social media. Just give credit where credit's due.